acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts this Day in History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey guys, I hope you enjoy these classic episodes from the TDIHC Vault. I'm currently researching a new crop of stories for next year, so be sure to join me again on January 2nd when we return with all new episodes. Talk to you soon. Welcome to This Day in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's December 20th. South Carolina seceded from the Union on this day in 1860. And this is marked as a turning point on the way to the U.S. Civil War, and it was. But disputes between northern and southern states, between free and slave states, had been going on for decades. By that point, there had been a whole series of compromises meant to try to preserve the balance of power between free states and slave states. As one example, there was the Missouri Compromise, which allowed Missouri to be admitted into the Union as a slave state, while Maine was split off for Massachusetts and admitted as a free state. But by 1860, even after all of these compromises, things had grown progressively more tense. Northern states had started abolishing slavery and passing laws to prevent the return of escaped slaves to the states where they had been held in bondage. There was increasing pressure on slave states to start abolishing slavery. Slave states' dissatisfaction with all this increased dramatically in 1850 when California, which was a free state, was admitted into the Union without a corresponding slave state to preserve this balance of power in Congress between slave and free. 
As the 1860 election approached, the prevailing wisdom was that the election of a Republican president would guarantee that slaveholding states would start breaking away from the Union. The Republican Party had been founded six years earlier by anti-slavery Whigs, and the Republican president who was elected was Abraham Lincoln. He was elected on November 6th, and on December 20th, South Carolina became the first state to secede. On December 24th, South Carolina adopted a Declaration of the Immediate Causes, which induce and justify the secession of South Carolina from the Federal Union. It begins, quote, The people of the state of South Carolina, in convention assembled, on the 26th day of April, A.D., 1852, declared that the frequent violations of the Constitution of the United States by the federal government and its encroachments upon the reserved rights of the states fully justified this state in then withdrawing from the federal union, but in deference to the opinions and wishes of the other slaveholding states, she forbore at that time to exercise this right. Since that time, these encroachments have continued to increase and further forbearance ceases to be a virtue. In other words, we said we had the right to secede back in 1852, but because the other slaveholding states asked us not to, we did not, but now we are. It goes on about the idea of free, sovereign, and independent states before it gets around to what freedoms specifically we're talking about. One of these is outlined in Article 4 of the Constitution, quote, No person held in service or labor in one state under the laws thereof, escaping into another, shall, in consequence of any law or regulation therein, be discharged from such service or labor, but shall be delivered up on claim of the party to whom such service or labor may be due. In other words, if you're enslaved in one state and you run away to another, you can't be just kept there. You have to be sent back. That was in the Constitution. This document then goes on to talk about the hostility of the non-slaveholding states to the slaveholding states, which, quote, led to a disregard of their obligations. And the document goes on to condemn abolition societies, which have, quote, encouraged and assisted thousands of our slaves to leave their homes, and those who remain have been incited by emissaries, books, and pictures to servile insurrection. Toward the end, this statement says, quote, the slaveholding states will no longer have the power of self-government or self-protection, and the federal government will have become their enemy. A total of 11 states seceded from the Union, several others repeatedly citing slavery as their reason for doing so, and they formed the Confederate States of America. The Civil War began on April 12th of 1861. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to the Stay in History class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for an infamous bombing. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Eves, and you're listening to This Day in History Class, a podcast that really takes to heart the phrase, you learn something new every day. The day was December 20th, 1987. The Philippine-registered passenger ferry MV Doña Paz sank, claiming the lives of more than 4,000 people. It was the deadliest peacetime shipwreck in history. Doña Paz, originally called Himeyuri Maru, was built by Onomichi Zosen in Hiroshima, Japan in 1963. It was first used as a passenger ferry in Japanese waters, but it was later sold to a Philippine operator who ran passenger ferries. After the vessel was destroyed in a fire in 1979, it returned to service as a passenger ferry. In 1987, Doña Paz was traveling between Tacloban, Catbalagan, and Manila, picking up passengers along the way. The vessel could officially hold 1,518 people and be operated by a crew of 66. On December 20th, 1987, at 6.30 a.m. local time, Doña Paz left Tacloban on the island of Leyte and headed out for Manila in the Philippines, with a stop in Catbalogan, Samar. It made this trip a couple of times a week. Meanwhile, an oil tanker named MT Vector was traveling from Bataan to Masbate, carrying around 8,800 barrels of gasoline and other petroleum products. Vector was chartered by Caltex Philippines. That night, while passengers were sleeping as the ferry traveled through the Tablas Strait, Vector and Doña Paz collided off Mindoro Island. The lights on board Doña Paz went out, and Vector's cargo caught fire, sending gas and kerosene into the surrounding water. 
The flames soon engulfed Doña Paz. Life jackets on the ferry were reportedly inaccessible, and the crew did not organize a rescue effort. This intensified the panic on board, and people who survived the collision jumped off the ship into flaming, shark-infested water. Doña Paz sank within two hours of the wreck, and Vector sank within four hours. The death toll has been estimated at 4,386 people. But the Doña Paz was overcrowded at the time of the disaster. Hundreds of passengers did not buy tickets, but instead boarded the ship and paid a lower fare. Those people were not listed on the ferry's passenger list. Over the next few days, corpses floated in the waters around the island of Mindoro. The Coast Guard got word of the disaster, and a search and rescue operation soon began. 24 people survived the disaster. It was later found that Doña Paz had no radio, hindering communication between the two vessels. Sulpicio Lines, who operated the ferry, claimed they followed all rules set by the Philippine Coast Guard. But the Board of Marine Inquiry determined that Sulpicio Lines was not at fault. Though overcrowding on Doña Paz was part of the cause of the disaster, Vector was deemed responsible by the Supreme Court of the Philippines. Because Vector was so heavy, two people had to steer it, causing it to go in a zigzag motion toward Doña Paz, which may have confused the ferry's crew. Also, Vector was understaffed with underqualified crew. On top of that, the vessel did not have a certificate of inspection. Families of the victims received little compensation. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Send your best history memes to us at T-D-I-H-C podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We also accept electronic letters at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, we'll boot it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot 
and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show for those interested in the big and small moments of history. I'm Gabe Luzier, and today we're talking about the time when a British monarch took the matter of someone else's marriage into her own hands. The day was December 20th. 1995. Britain's Queen Elizabeth II sent a letter to her son Prince Charles and his wife Princess Diana, urging the couple to get a divorce. The note was sent after three years of married separation, during which time both Charles and Diana had pursued other relationships. The protracted royal scandal had troubled the Queen for some time, and when she was finally convinced that their marriage was beyond repair, she advised them to make their split official. Prince Charles, heir to the British throne, was married to Lady Diana Spencer, a schoolteacher, on July 29, 1981. The ceremony at St. Paul's Cathedral was attended by more than 2,600 guests, and nearly a billion people across 74 countries watched the event live on TV. Three years later, the couple had their first child, Prince William, and then their second, Prince Harry, in 1984. Over time, what had seemed like a fairy tale romance gradually lost its luster. The couple spent more and more time apart, a fact that did not go ignored by the media. It quickly became clear that the biggest obstacle in the marriage was that Charles was in love with someone else. Diana had long suspected that her husband still had feelings for Camilla Parker Bowles, his ex-girlfriend from the early 1970s. Diana had hoped that time and their own growing family would dull the old attraction, but it never did. As the years went by, the couple grew more estranged, and Charles eventually started an affair with Camilla. 
Diana knew about the not-so-secret affair, and soon the whole world did too. Finally, in 1992, Charles and Diana announced that they were separating, but would continue to carry out their royal duties. The awkward arrangement continued for three years, and finally reached its tipping point on November 20th, 1995. That evening, Diana gave a revealing interview on a British current affairs program called Panorama. During the broadcast, which was watched by almost 23 million people, Diana referenced her husband's long-term affair with Camilla. She said, quote, There were three of us in this marriage. An arrangement that she aptly described as crowded. Diana went on to describe her husband's entourage as the enemy and suggested that the monarchy itself was in need of a major overhaul. The revelations struck a chord with the public, who quickly sided with the princess against the rest of the royal family. One month after Diana's tell-all interview, a royal messenger appeared at her front door. He delivered a letter in the Queen's handwriting, bearing the crest of the House of Windsor. The message was curt and more than a little cold. It read, quote, I have consulted with the Archbishop of Canterbury, and with the Prime Minister, and, of course, with Charles, and we have decided that the best course for you is divorce. You'll notice that the letter reads more like an order than as a request or suggestion. That's partly because Diana had already made it known that she didn't want a divorce. The Queen's letter was to tell the princess in no uncertain terms that the choice was no longer hers to make. Diana said as much herself after reading the letter. She reportedly told her butler, Paul Burrell, quote, That's rich. They get to decide whether I divorce. In the end, the queen got her way, as queens typically do. Charles and Diana filed for divorce two months later, and in August of 1996, their 15-year marriage came to an end. Per the terms of the final agreement, Diana relinquished the title of Her Royal Highness, as well as any future claim to the British throne. In exchange, she was awarded a substantial settlement and was allowed to retain her place at Kensington Palace, as well as her title of Princess of Wales. She and Charles also agreed to joint custody of their sons, but sadly, the terms of the separation wouldn't matter for long. The following year, on August 31, 1997, Diana died in a car crash in Paris. According to French police, Diana's driver, who also died in the crash, had been heavily intoxicated and caused the accident while trying to get away from a group of paparazzi photographers. The pain of that day still lingers for countless people, a sure sign that Diana Spencer achieved a goal she first described in her interview with Panorama, the desire to be not a queen of a country, but a queen in people's hearts. As for Prince Charles, he married his longtime mistress in April of 2005, and the royal family has been drama-free ever since. 
I'm Gabe Lussier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you'd like to advise me on any major life decisions, you can send a rudely brief note to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Just make sure you've consulted with an archbishop first. Otherwise, I ain't listening. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene was good. But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.